Good morning, everyone. If you would, uh, turn with me to the book of Jude. If you don't know where that is, you're in good company. <laughs> Jude is a very small book, yet very significant book, all the way in the back. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Make a U-turn and go just a few pages over, and Jude is right there. It's the last epistle before we get to the book of Revelation. As you are turning there, uh, let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, uh, we come before you. Lord, I praise you for this day, and I praise you for the opportunity we have to open your word, to read it together freely, and to uh, discuss what is in the text of these pages. Father, I pray that we would hear from you today. Lord, I ask that uh, you would hide the teacher behind yourself, and that the words that are spoken would be yours, Father. I pray that through the reading and the study of your word that you would convict us and that you would draw us closer to you. We praise you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Allow me to read uh, just a few verses here. My hope and plan is, and I think we have plenty of time in which to do this, my hope and plan this morning is to go through uh, the entire book of Jude. It's not too daunting of a task. It's only 25 verses. Um, I see the children leaving, so it is time for Children's Church. If you are a kiddo and you want to head down there, uh, if you're an adult and you want to head down there, I mean, no one's going to stop you, I guess. Go right ahead. <laughs> Uh, but we, I'm just going to read to start out here uh, the first few verses. My, my goal is to go through the whole book and do it in a way where we, we look at these first four verses and kind of use those as our starting point to look at the rest of, of the book in different sections. Uh, we're not going to go, um, we're not following the verses as they are numerically, but we're going to jump around to different sections uh, within the book of Jude, and hopefully by the end, uh, we will have gone through the entire thing. So let us read together just these fir few, first, excuse me, first few verses. Um, hear now the word of the Lord. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all, that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. On the 
return home flight uh, from Florida when we went on our missions trip. I was uh, sitting on the plane. Uh, Nick Barnes was on one side. My son Zion was on the other. And uh, I don't mind flying, but I don't particularly enjoy it. I don't like having to sit in a confined space with nothing to do but to sit in a confined space. Um, if they had planes where you could, like, I don't know, play mini golf while it's going, or like walk around, like, I don't know, do stuff, I would love to fly. I don't particularly, by the way, I don't particularly enjoy airports either. And that's, you know, the precursor to getting on the plane. If that's a miserable experience, you know that the next part's not going to be all that fun either. Uh, so I'm sitting there between these guys, and um, Zion is doing something. I don't really remember what he was doing. Nick was listening to music, and, and uh, so I'm sitting there like, okay, nothing to do for the next two hours but sit here with my own thoughts. So I decided that I would read. And, and, and the thing is that typically when I'm on a plane, Knowing that I just have to sit there for however long the flight takes, it just is this voice in my head that like gnaws at my brain. So even if I try and read or do something, I just have this like, you're just sitting here doing nothing. Maybe it's my, I, I, maybe it's my ADHD, I don't know, but I just, it's very distracting. So I get out my Bible and I think, all right, um, I, I want to read something, and I don't want to get into anything too long because, you know, this nagging, I'll, I'll never get through it. So I decide I'm going to pick something short. So I start flipping through the pages, and I get to this book, Jude. I've read it before lots of times in college, uh, in Bible studies, and I think, oh, th this will be good. It's only 25 verses. I think I can work my way through this even with this little gnawing chipmunk in my head, whatever, telling me that I'm bored. Uh, so I start reading this book. And I tell you, as sure as I'm standing here today, I read through this thing seven or eight times. The words just began, just captured my attention. And I couldn't put it down. I was disappointed that it was only 25 verses because I just wanted to hear more and more from this individual. And I thought to myself, as I'm reading this, I think, man, why? I tried to think back to the last time I had heard a sermon on the book of Jude, and I couldn't, I couldn't remember. What Jude says in this book for us is very significant. Even though we have to span a massive amount of time, there is a language difference, you know, our culture is different than his, the message that he has in here is just as significant for us today as it was for him back then. Which is a little bit disappointing because it tells me that even today, we as Christians are still facing false teaching within the church. And I don't know about you, but that is a very bothersome notion for me. 
So I'd like to go through this book today. A few notes here on Jude, this book. Number one, he identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. And this uh, James would be the same James that wrote the book of James that we just spent over a year studying. Uh, he was also, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Jude is mentioned in the Gospels as one of the half-brothers of Jesus along with James. Um, but again, he doesn't identify himself as uh, a brother of Jesus. He identifies himself as the servant of Jesus and the brother of James. This is a bit of a strange book. Uh, and many scholars, actually, when I was doing research reading this, many scholars brought up the fact that this, was, this particular book was uh, very contentious when it came to putting the canon together because there are lots of extra-biblical uh, citations, I guess we'll say. Jude references a lot of documents that we do not have today, uh, and they're certainly not a part of the canon of Scripture. He talks about the book of Enoch, uh, which he mentions Enoch was the seventh son from Adam. He mentions this thing about Moses and uh, the, the devil and Michael the archangel contending over the body of Moses. That's from a document, uh, I think it's called the Song of Moses, but that was kind of an extra-biblical uh, source. So it, it, it's, it's kind of strange. We come and we read this and we think, where did he get this stuff from? And we just have to remember that, you know, when he wrote this, all they had was the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. But there were other sources that they would read and use uh, that did not make it into the, the canon of Scripture. So he was just using what he had at the time when he wrote this. The other thing I would point out is that Jude is a very creative writer. Uh, he uses a lot of great descriptions to describe these false teachers. In fact, and, and we will get into that in earnest here. But one of the things that he does is, and, and this, really, uh, this really speaks to me because I love finding this stuff, he uses this pattern of threes. And he does it all through the book. In fact, I, I challenge you, I'll point out a few here, but I challenge you as we go through this to just look for this pattern of three. First, he says in verse one, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus. One, two, three. May mercy, one, peace, two, and love, three, be multiplied to you. So you see, he uses this pattern of three, and like I said, it's all through throughout the book. He says to them, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. I think the tone of that letter would have been much more, uh, much more of a glad tidings, something that he, would have, he was excited to write about. But of course, he says here, I found it necessary uh, to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was for all delivered to the saints. And that is what I think we the message I would like to get across to you today is that we should still be carrying on this fight. We should still today be contending for the faith that when we hear false teaching, when we see people who are false teachers, we should contend, wrestle with the faith. In fact, that is uh, what is meant here when he says contend. 
This word means to wrestle, to struggle. Uh, and notice that it's not, a, you know, wrestling is kind of the most intimate form of combat that two people can engage in. This is a hand-to-hand, down-and-dirty, we're-going-to-struggle-and-wrestle-together kind of fight. And it's interesting that right before he tells them to contend for the faith, to wrestle for the faith, struggle for the faith, he wishes that, or he, he, he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And I would just like to point out that that is not a contradiction. Just because mercy, peace, and love are multiplied to us does not mean that we sit back and passively let things happen. He says, contend for the faith, wrestle for it. This indicates a fight. And my intention today is not to bring up names. Um, I'm sure that we have, you know, we could probably get together after this if there are some celebrity pastors or celebrity Christians that, you know, you would have questions on. I I don't want to bring up any names. I don't want to cause any, you know, division or anything here. But I would say that we need to, in, in, in the thinking of contending for the faith, striving for the purity of our faith, we need to be careful. And that's what I would encourage you today. I personally listen, I try to listen and watch a lot of teaching on YouTube, and I have teachers who are my favorites, but I'm very, very careful about who I listen to, who I uh, contend with, who I allow, you know, their teaching to kind of infiltrate my mind, because I know there's a lot of garbage out there. There's a lot of stuff out there that will, that is not what we would call orthodox. There's a lot of teaching out there that is wrong and false, but is being paraded as the truth. Uh, The second thing I'd like to point out here is he says, we are to contend for the faith. Now, what does that mean? Because I think sometimes, especially in this context, we can be confused here. We're not talking about your individual faith. We are talking about the Christian faith as a whole, a body of definable Christian faith. Truth, And, of course, he's, he goes on to say the faith that was uh, once delivered to the saints. Um, this is what they had. This is what we have, a definable Christian truth, the faith that we all share in Jesus, the Christian faith. So when we talk about, in this context today, when we talk about faith, that's what we are referring to. Second uh, Timothy, excuse me, First Timothy get these tabs to work for me. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, uh, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So that's what we are talking about today when we say faith. Now he says here also, this was, he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What he's saying there is that what we have is complete. The New Testament writers had the Old Testament. We have their writings speaking about what the Old Testament spoke of, 
and we put it all together in this thing, this canon called the Bible. And it is the complete narrative of God's redemption story, the redemption of his people through his son, Jesus. There are lots of extra biblical resources out there, and one of the big reasons that they would not have made it into the canon, one, is that uh, the, the, the early church fathers who put the scriptures together did not feel that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's one. The second is that whatever was written in there contradicts what the rest of this is speaking about. We have the complete revelation of, of God, not something that is periodically updated and given new basic truths. This is complete. This is the complete redemption story of how God saved his people, made a people for himself, and then saved them through his son, Jesus. And there's so many out there today who would try and add to this or who would take one part of this and then add a whole bunch of misinformation or uh, lies to it to make it sound like truth. And what and Jude is saying here that we need to contend for the faith. We need to recognize this stuff and wrestle with it and get rid of it. And there are many examples that we can give. One of the things I would say is that, you know, if this is God's revelation to us, do you really think that God would just al allow this thing to be left to chance? I mean, this book says of itself that it is the revelation of God. It says that it is theanostas. It is breathed out by the Lord. These are the very words of God. His communication to mankind through mankind's most effective form of communication, the written word. And I don't think, personally, that he would allow this to just be left up to chance. I mean, I think God is way more sovereign than that. He would, for us to have the idea that he would not be a part of the process of putting this thing together, of the translations through all the different languages, I mean, God could see that one day Greek that the Old Testament was written in would be a dead language. He could see that Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was written in, and Aramaic would one day be a dead language. And so to think that he would not be a part of the process, to think that he would not be sovereign enough to watch over how his word was written and translated and then communicated to us. To me, that's preposterous. It's too important. So he goes on to talk about these false teachers. He says here, going on, moving on to verse 4, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that this is not an attack that's coming from outside the Christian faith. This is something that is inside our own ranks. Jude says these people have crept in, and that is the emphasis and concern that he's putting forth here. 
This is an inside job. In verses 12 and 13, he says this, of referring to these uh, false teachers. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds. You know, these things, these we just mentioned, they look good. If you're on a ship or a boat and you look out in the ocean, you're not going to see the reef that's hidden under the water. You think it's going to be smooth sailing until you hit that reef. If you're a sheep, you look up to the shepherd, you think this guy's going to take care of me. He's going to lead me to, to quiet waters and green pastures. But if the shepherd just sits there and feeds himself the whole time, that's not good. If you are, uh, I know the, the many times that I've attempted to grow a garden, never really works out for me. But when I see clouds in the sky, I think, oh, it's going to rain. My plants are going to get some, uh, some water. That'll be good. And then it doesn't happen. Waterless clouds. These things are useless. These descriptions that he gives of these people, what he's saying here is that these cause a stagnation of faith. They don't lead you towards growth. They look good, but in the end, they are, da they are dangerous. That's how Jude describes them. He goes on here in verse 4. He says, uh, Certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Now, at the very heart of this, perverting the grace of God is opposing God's will and purpose. He says here, he gives some uh, descriptions here in verse 5. He says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in, indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in a like manner, these people, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. He says that these people promote grace as forgiveness, that we are saved. We can live however we want. Let's just keep going on sinning because it doesn't matter. God's going to forgive us. My friends... That is, as Jude says here, a perversion. That is perverting the grace of God. Romans 6, 1 through 4. Uh, excuse me, I'm just going to read these two verses. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Hebrews, this is the one that always gets me. Hebrews chapter 10, 
For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. God forgives us of our sin. Not that we could just keep on sinning and then going to him for forgiveness. He, forgive, he forgives us of our sin so that we will turn from it and follow after him. If we keep on sinning after we have been forgiven, and I, mean, I don't mean in a, in a day-to-day, you know, I, I just, because personally me, I mess up every single day. I'm talking about if you know the truth and yet you keep on in, this, in a habit of sin, that's what those verses are referring to. That's what Jude is talking about. He says here, as he says in, in verse 8, yet in the like manner these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. They know the truth, and yet they just keep on sinning. And not only that, they drag other people down with them. If we keep on sinning, that is rebellion against God. And the third thing he says here, going back to to verse 4, they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And that's really the heart of it. That's really at the heart of false teachers. He says in, in verse 11, Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. Not only do they themselves deny Jesus, but he Jude uses the the example of these three individuals to say that they also drag other people into their rebellion. You think about it, you go through these. Cain, after he received his punishment from God, he went and built a city, and Genesis describes that city as one of the most wicked on the face of the planet. He led people into rebellion. Balaam, I love the story of Balaam, This guy just could not help himself. The king of, this is is in the book of Numbers. The king of uh, Moab asks this prophet Balaam to come and curse the people of Israel. And uh, he says, look, I can only say what the Lord tells me. And so he sets up to curse them four times, and each time he ends up blessing them. And so finally, Balak gets smart, and he says, dude, you need to get out of here. And on his way out, the scriptures say that Balaam gave Balak a suggestion that, hey, why don't you uh, send all the ladies over to the Israelites and entice their young men to uh, come to to the the sacrifices of the false gods. And that's what he does. The story in Numbers 25, uh, the end result is just, it's incredible. And then finally, Korah, he was one of the, uh, the Levites, and he led people in a rebellion against Moses, and him and his entire family was wiped out because of it. The, Jude is using these examples to say that false teachers, 
not only do they themselves uh, live in habitual sin, but they, they drag people down with them. He goes on to give, give examples here uh, in verse 12. They are fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Jude says what these false teachers produce is lifeless. They drag people into rebellion against God and they end up being lifeless. I love the, uh, this one in, in verse 13, the wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. You know, I personally have a love-hate relationship with the ocean. I like to go swimming, um, but it takes a little bit of time to psych myself up that there's no sharks in the immediate vicinity of where I'm going to go in. Or jellyfish, actually, if we really want to talk about killers. <laughs> but uh, after I psych myself up, you know, and I finally go towards the water, I'm always just so disgusted by, if you've ever been to the ocean, you know, there's that kind of layer of foam that's on top of the water. Do you know what that is? I shouldn't tell you, I shouldn't. Let's just say that's one of the ways that the ocean cleans itself. It kind of churns all this garbage up to the top and then it just floats. And if you're, yeah, it's pretty gross. And then if you're there in the water and this big thing of foam comes moving towards you, I mean, it's not good. But, it, it, but Jude using that as an example is just, I, I'm going to use the word delicious. It's just delicious here. Because it gives such a good example. He says these people, they just, they, <laughs> how does he say it here? They cast up the foam of their own shame. They push the garbage of their own lives onto other people and drag them into it themselves. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. John 10, 10, he says, I have, I have come to give my people life and give, it, give them life abundantly. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, if I live, I, I, I am, he says, I am crucified with Christ. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To summarize all of this, Jude says these people are ungodly. And I think that being someone who is described as godly should be the goal of us all. But Jude says that these people are ungodly. Again, back in verse 4. Certain people have crept in who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of the Lord, excuse me, the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord. Jesus Christ. 
In verse 8, again, he says, Yet in a like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. What a picture he's painting here. You know, as I was sitting on the plane reading this, I just, it, it, it just washed over me how careful we as believers need to be. Again, it's not like this stuff is coming from the outside that we can see it coming. But he says these people have crept in. And the description that he gives is just, I mean, some of it is stomach-churning. And we need to be careful. There's a section in Jeremiah I'd like to read here. When he says in, uh, excuse me, when he says in verse 8, these people also rely on their dreams. He, that's a reference back to this passage in, in Jeremiah 23. The Lord says through the prophet, they are continually, he's speaking about false prophets here, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a lot of churches in America today. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Jumping down to verse 21. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. They did not, I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned, turned them from their evil ways and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? I do, do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall their lies be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own hearts? Who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forget my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, who use their tongues and declare, thus says the Lord. I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them 
and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them so they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. Have you ever heard a teacher utter the words, God spoke to me and told me this? I know I have. And most of the time, most of the time, there are a few exceptions, I would say. But most of the time, the thing that the Lord says to this person completely counters what the Scriptures say, does not line up at all with what the Scriptures say. And as the prophet Jeremiah, we just read, really what it is is just an outpouring of that person's heart. It is not the words of the Lord. Jude goes on to quote from Enoch in verses 14 and 15. He says, It was also these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord has come with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of it, the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He says, verse 16, These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last days there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. And we see two references, Acts 20 and 1 Timothy 4. The Apostle Paul says that very thing. Verse 19, it is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but that last one, devoid of the Spirit. So Jude has laid out the, the case against these false teachers, and now, oh dear, oh dear, I, I apologize, I was getting into this, I forgot that there's more to fill in. I think we might be a couple slides behind. Why didn't someone say anything? I, I, I was getting, I'm into it and I'm going, I forget about this thing all the time. I, I apologize. Let's just keep, there we go. Okay. So Jude has laid out the case against these false teachers. You, you can write and I'll keep speaking. And he now moves in this letter on how he, he starts to give uh, some instruction. Very, very condensed, very short things he says, but he starts to give some instruction on how we can uh, contend for the faith. And I hope after this one we're caught up. <laughs> okay. There we go. Okay. He says, uh, starting in verse 17, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. 
and have mercy and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And just real quickly, I know we're running out of time. Let me just say a few things on, on each of these. Number one, building yourself up in the most holy faith. There are so many times I feel like a broken record. Pastor David, I'm sure you probably experienced this as well. You know, when people say, I want to get closer to God, how do I, how do I strengthen my relationship? How do I deepen my faith? It's not rocket science. The best thing that we can do is to get in his word. Make it a part of your day. Make it a part of your life. Read it. Memorize it. Take it in. Build yourself up in the most holy faith is an action word. We must take action here. Take the steps necessary to grow in our faith. Uh, Polycarp, who is one of the early church fathers, said this, if you study the epistles of the blessed apostle Paul, you can be built up in the faith given to you. The second thing he says is to pray. pray. Praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, prayer is one of the most powerful weapons that we have in our, in our lives. This form of communication with the Lord is, is life-changing. And Jude says here that in, the, in contending for our faith, it's something that we need to do. Number three, he says, keep yourself in the love of God. I think that we need to remember that we, one of the, I can't remember which one it was now, I think it was the first one, uh, the song that we sang this morning, you know, one of the things that I have really come to realize and be grateful for is that when we gather in church, we are not here to remember Jesus who died. We're not gathering in memorial of Christ. We gather because he is alive that we serve a God who is living, who is active. And so we need to remember that we have a relationship with him, and a relationship has two parts to it. God loves us, but we also need to love him and devote ourselves to him. Fourthly, we need to wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Again, we have a Savior who is alive, and not only is he alive, he sent his spirit to live inside of us, that we have his presence with us now. We certainly look forward to a day when we will stand in his presence, but until that time, here on earth, we have his spirit inside of us. And that should give us a great amount of hope. You know, the cool thing is, is that uh, these four things, build yourself up in faith, Pray, keep yourself in the love of God, wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus. It's very reflective of 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says the love is, uh, is the greatest thing, but we have these three, faith, hope, and love. I think that that's really cool. And if we make these things a part of our lives, if we allow faith, hope, and love to define who we are, people will see and notice and then we can fulfill number five here. Have mercy on those who doubt. If we make faith, hope, and love, and prayer, certainly, a part of our everyday lives, people will see that there is something different going on here with this person. 
if we live in such a way that it shows people that the God of the universe has an impact on our lives, that's not going to go unnoticed. And that will open up opportunities to share with those around us the things, how great Jesus is and the things that he has done for us. And it will give us opportunities to share the gospel. I think there's nothing left to say but amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I would like to, uh, to pray together to close, and then um, I'd like to read these last few verses as a benediction, because uh, it is one of the greatest benedictions, one of the greatest doxologies in, that we have in Scripture, and then I'd like to sing the doxology together to end our time. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for our time here even though it is flying by us um, as we study your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Uh, that you would help us to live in a way that these, these five things that Jude tells us would become a part of our lives. That we would take the steps necessary to deepen and to strengthen our faith in you that we would wait with hopeful expectation, knowing that your spirit is in us. That we would pray every day, that we would make communication with you a part of just what we do each day. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us through your spirit to turn from our sin and to love you more and more and more.